Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, Today, we are wrapping up our series on miracles. Uh, This has been a a fantastic series for me, and it's, it's really only had one simple goal, and that is... Uh, to help us open up our minds to the possibility that God might be up to more uh, than we can imagine, than we can quantify, than we can intellectually uh, uh, unpack and unfold. And the Bible teaches us and shows us that. And, of course, we've had testimonies from folks every single week as well in their actual life uh, that these things are happening. And so uh, if you want to follow along, we have a Bible app event Uh, in the Bible app, and if you scan that QR code, let me step to this side, uh, then you can get that event. It's going to have Bible notes in there for you. It's also going to have notes in there that I wrote uh, that I won't necessarily cover in the sermon, but that I thought were good and helpful uh, additions to the content and the context uh, and the the scripture that we're going to unpack today is there as well. Let me give you a few seconds to throw those phones up. And, uh, and then we will roll. All you got to do is open up your camera. And if you don't have a camera, then uh, maybe you work with Walter White. And we will print some paper uh, notes for you. For those of you who got that, thank you so very much. Uh, now, we're in the Acts of the Apostles today, more like the Acts of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, we're going to read through verse 11 and verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. Or, in my favorite translation, of that I have, I will give. In the name of the Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and stood him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was a lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the 3 o'clock prayer service. Skip down to verse 16. Peter turns to the people after many other words and says, Through faith, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. The faith that is through Jesus has healed him before your very eyes. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your word, and we pray now that we would be transformed under the hearing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. It was March of my sophomore year at the National Wrestling Tournament uh, that I snapped my knee. Uh, It was my left knee, tore my PCL, my LCL, and my meniscus in one failed swoop. 
And the sound of the ligaments snapping was so loud that later my parents and my high school coach, who happened to be there for this college tournament to watch me because it was supposed to be my year to win it all, uh, they heard it from the stands. I remember vividly, after almost 20 years, how the pain started in my knee and it worked its way up my body until it located itself in my lower back and then distributed through the rest of my body. And when it happened, it was one of those moments, if you've ever popped your eardrum, which I hope you haven't, or, or, or maybe you've been on a plane and everything kind of goes muffled for a moment and the sound gets strange and you can't quite make everything out. It was one of those moments and time slowed down and all I could feel was the pain until it all rushed back in again and I could hear the whistles of the referees and the voices of the people and the collective gasp from the crowd because I am me and the Lord is still sanctifying me um, I tried to stand up because you know I got problems and I immediately fell back down and they rushed the medical team out to try and carry me off of the mat but pride would not allow me to let that happen and so my college coach came and he scooped me up over one of his arms and I hopped into the hallway. In that moment, the pain gave way to a depression that would grip me for some time and would eventually consume me to the point where I truly believed that my life was over. Well, I went through the normal protocols, went through the normal situation, doctor's visits, then prognosis, and then surgery. Uh, I had to put a cast on in anticipation of the surgery. And funny enough, the doctor at the end of my healing and everything, when they took the cast off, told me that he should have put treads on the bottom of that cast because I was walking on it so much. Again, hard-headed. But it's the surgery that I'm going to draw your attention to. You see, in my most despondent moment, and my mom and my dad are here today, and they would tell you that during this period of time, I was about as mean as a rattlesnake. And they came up from Louisiana to Oklahoma to take care of me and look after me and, and try to make sure I didn't waste away to nothing. And, and I was snappy and snippy and, and not very kind at all. And they loved me through that. And in one of my most despondent moments where I was just lamenting over everything that I had lost because I was told that I was going to be out for 18 months. And if you're doing quick math, that's all of my junior year, most of my senior year. So all of this that I've worked for, it's done. It's gone. And I was sitting there feeling sorry for myself, and my mother sat down next to me in my little one-bedroom, dirty apartment. And she said, have you prayed for God to heal you? Now, I was honest in that moment, and I told you, you remember I told you this, that I hadn't been talking to God very much at that time. He and I were, uh, we were on the outs. It was not his fault. It was 100% me. And she said, well, perhaps you should pray for healing. And I said, why would he answer somebody like me? And she gospeled me in a beautiful way. And so I began to pray for healing. I began to pray intensely for healing. I began to pray daily for healing. I began to beg and ask God to heal my knee so that I could serve him and represent him again through my sport and so that I could do what I loved. Well, over a couple of weeks, my knee started to feel better. And I told the doctor, my knee's feeling better. This is weird. My knee's feeling better. And he's like, well, that's not possible. It's supposed to be feeling worse because the longer you go between the injury and the surgery, it's supposed to be feeling worse. And I said, well, this is feeling better. And he's like, well, it might be psychosomatic and, or, or the Oxycontins. And I said, it could be both of those things. But I do think it's feeling better. And so we got to the point of surgery. And I remember in the consult, they were going over it with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut you open. 
we're going to clean this up. We're going to attach the meniscus. We're going to take a piece of your hamstring and make you a new LCL. And we're going to drill that in with a literal drill and a literal screw. Uh, and then we're going to reattach your PCL, which is piled up at the bottom of your leg. And I said, it doesn't feel like it's piled up at the bottom of my leg. And he said, no, no, no. The MRI has showed that it's piled up at the bottom of your leg. And I said, well, I would like to tell you that you will not have to touch my PCL because God has healed me. And the doctor chuckled. <laughs> well, I understand your enthusiasm, Leonce, but, uh, you know, you, you don't really understand the extent of the damage that was done to you. You know, the doctors start talking in that whisper voice. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you don't really understand the extent of the damage that was done to your knee. And, and after the MRI and all the examinations, we've really determined that this is the only way forward and for you to have a full recovery. And, and I responded, God has healed me. You won't have to touch my PCL. And he said, well, okay. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> and, and, and so after then, that moment, the nurses came and they drugged me. And I laid back and I started to get hazy. And my dad told me later, I didn't remember this because I was hazy. My dad told me later that as they were wheeling me down to the operating room, I was yelling at the top of my lungs, don't let them touch my PCL. God has healed me. Now, if you were in that hospital <laughs> for any other procedure, you're like, who is this lunatic yelling down the hallway? Well, they took me to the operating room, and several hours later, they brought me back out again. And I woke up in a fog. And the first thing I said, do you remember this, Dad? I said, did they touch my PCL? It's the first thing I said. And the doctor goes, well, actually, Leonce, it turns out that uh, we misread the MRI. And that the damage to your knee wasn't as extensive as we thought it was. Now, I thought back then, even as a young man, and, and I still think now, how is it that multiple doctors over multiple weeks misread the same MRI? And I said to him, well, okay, or God healed me. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, anything's possible. And I said, yes, God healed me. I mean, it was really uncomfortable. Like, it was like, you know which I'm good at that, and it doesn't bother me. Like, I will create uncomfortable situations just to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 God healed me. He's like, oh, that, that, yeah. no, no, he healed me. Would you like to agree? You know, and, and then eventually he just kind of walked out of the room. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you that I need you to hear me say. Um, I am not anti-medical practice, not by any stretch of imagination. There was a small period in time where I thought I was going to be a doctor, mainly because I wanted to be rich. Then I found out that y'all are actually poor because of student loans. And, uh, and then I became a pastor, which I'm still poor. So here we are. Um, so I'm not anti-medical practice, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I'll say this, because I don't want to be edited or tweeted or, or Instagrammed or Snapchatted or anything. Here, listen, here's one. If you have a diagnosis, mental, physical, emotional, or otherwise, and you need medicine, please take your medicine. Please, please take your medicine. I'm not going to put my eyes on anybody in particular. Please take your medicine, okay? Because that's from God too. At the same time, at the same time, I am convinced, and, I, and I'm going to show it to you how I wrote it because I, 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 I think it will be helpful. At, at the same time, I am convinced that we have more faith in the practice of medicine than we do in the promises of God. And, and, and what I mean by that 
Number one, as I said, I'm not anti-medicine. I'm a logical person, and, and, and this is not just fancifulness. But what I mean by that is even the gifts that medical practitioners have were given to them by God, according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So that's part one. Part two, what I mean by that is we have more faith, hear my words, we have more faith in the people that God made than in the God who made them. And so it's very easy for us to believe that somebody with incredibly skilled hands separated two Siamese twins or somebody with incredible skilled hands repaired somebody's heart or somebody with incredible skilled hands repaired a knee. It's easy for us to believe in the capacity of the people God made but not in the nature, nature and natural violating power of the God who made them. And so when we see stuff like we see it in the Bible, what we say to ourselves, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But the God who's at work in that moment is the God who made the thing that we trust the most. <laughs> and so what, what, what I want to challenge and encourage us, and, and what I've been trying to do over these last few weeks, it is not to debunk or rob power from the natural grace gifts that God has given us in intelligence and intellect and capacity and ability. Human beings are a fantastical creature. But remind us that we are not divine creatures. We are made. And if we can trust each other, how in the world can we not trust God? And so if we trust God, then we believe, we believe that God still heals but we must have faith to believe that he can and does. We must have faith to believe. In fact, you'll recall, for those of you who spent some time in the word of God, that Jesus said as he looked at Jerusalem, oh, the things that I could have done if they just had faith to believe. Uh, if they had the faith of Sodom and Gomorrah, I could have done these things and greater. And so what we find ourselves in the Acts of the Apostles, is an opportunity to see God at work in that way. We've already read it together, so let's walk through it real quick. Uh, Peter and John are headed to the 3 o'clock prayer service. And, and there was something that struck me as I read that about the normalcy of the event. Do, do you, you see what I'm saying by that? Sometimes we read something in the Bible and, and we don't really read into it the regularity of what we're reading. It wasn't something dramatic. They're like, they were on their way to church. And it struck me, this normalcy struck me in light of the fact that if you look it up online, statistically, church attendance is at an all-time low. It is at less than one time per month to 1.2 times per month. And yet, that is not the rhythm that God ever intended for his people. Is there an amen for me on that one? That's not the rhythm. Now, if you amen, you make sure you be here now. Now, that is not the rhythm that God intended for his people. In fact, if you open up the book of Acts, you can read it in Acts 2, 42 through about 49, I'm going to say, or 48. Uh, uh, you can read the rhythm of the church. It says that they gathered from house to house. We call those what? Small groups. And then they gathered at the temple for worship. And we call that what? Sunday morning corporate worship. And then it seems in addition to that, that they had a regular 3 o'clock prayer meeting, which we do here every single Saturday at 9.30 in the morning. Here's what I'm saying to you, that Renovation Church is not trying to reinvent the wheel or do something extra or put an extra burden on you. We're trying to follow the biblical pattern because the only way to have the abundant life that Jesus has promised you is not in isolation, but in the context of community. 
there's something that happens here that is transcendent, family. It's transcendent. It's different. You cannot experience through a podcast or a digital gathering what you experience when you gather with God's people in God's name, in God's house, under God's banner to experience God's power. Why? Because God doesn't want to be examined. He wants to be experienced. You can examine him through a podcast. You experience him with his people. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So here they are. It's 3 o'clock. It's time to go to church. And as they're entering into the prayer service, they see a man there who was born lame. In fact, Luke, who himself is a physician, seems to go out of his way to tell us that this man has never experienced the pleasure of walking or running. Okay, if you got a Fitbit, don't get your steps in just to get your steps in. Get your steps in because you can. You tracking with me? He's never experienced this pleasure. He has been this way since the day he was born. He's never had the opportunity to walk. And as they pass this man, uh, he turns to them and he does what he does every single day. He begs from them and he says to them, will you give me a little something, something? And Peter turns to him and goes, look at us. Now that's pretty intense. It's a very terse way to turn and look at somebody. In fact, again, if you can use your sanctified imagination, I imagine a man being like, oh, all I asked for was a quarter. Like, you know, calm down, my guy. Look at us. Can you imagine it? This man, curled and gnarled and twisted and disfigured. And he turns toward these men. Watch this. Expecting what he always got. A temporary solution for a permanent problem. A moment's relief from his poverty, but no relief from his pain. And Peter says, what does he say? He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you. I'm poor too. But of that which I do have, I give it to you. This is a truly Christian response. How different, I'm just going to put a question before you. How different do you believe the world would be if all of the people who say they followed the way of Jesus saw their things that God has entrusted to them as an opportunity for others to share in those things? We could solve a lot of problems. We could stop fighting about big government and small government. Because if the church was doing what the church was supposed to do, then the government would be irrelevant in many of these things. That of which I do have, I give you. Now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Dr. Luke tells us that the man was taken by the hand and Peter stood him up. And as he did, and this is what I need you to imagine, as he did, his feet and his ankles, they uncurled and they straightened and they were strengthened. 
and he stood on his own and he began to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the prayer service. It's interesting. Again, I told you Dr. Luke is a physician. And I believe the way he documented this was incredibly intentional. Luke and Acts are the most thoroughly documented books in the New Testament. It really is like a doctor's notes. Here are all of the things that happened. He wrote it for a cat named Theophilus, who I believe was black, because his name was Theophilus. But I want you to understand something. You see, sometimes we see moments like this and we put them in the, in, in the realm of mythical creatures. Here's what I mean. Well, that was back then. And they probably didn't have the technological advances that we have today. And so, of course, God would do a miracle in that moment because they didn't have the technology to do what they needed to do. That's not completely true. In fact, they did have medical technology and knowledge and science back then that could have brought some relief to this man. He was just too poor to appropriate it. Look it up for yourself. It's called the Hellenistic period. And during the Hellenistic period, much like our own, there was a deep knowledge of science. There was a deep knowledge of medical care. There was a deep, in fact, many of the platonic principles that build current medicine are rooted in that period. What is the point? That it wasn't the period, it was the God. It wasn't the capacity of the people in that period to not solve a problem. It was the divine determination of the God of eternity to solve that problem. And everybody there would have known immediately that this was an absolute miracle because there's no way it happens unless God intervenes. In fact, it says that all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for money at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. They were absolutely awestruck and why would they not be? They had seen this man his entire life in one condition. They had ever only known him in one condition. They had ever only experienced him in one condition and one encounter with the miraculous power of God rewrote his story forever. Hear what I'm saying to you today. That when we experience the miraculous power of the living God, we cannot help but be changed. Let me tell you something. Once you encounter God, there is nothing in this world that can restrain your praise. You won't have to be told to shout. We won't be able to keep you from shouting. Because what did he, he got healed and he took off running and he got to work, worshiping. Now, at the close of this little encounter, so I'm trying to use my time well. At the close of this little encounter, Peter actually says many words to the people who are gathered there. You can go and read it for yourself. Peter, Peter. Peter still had that thug in him. He did. I mean, Peter is the one, you know, that's our favorite ratchet apostle. Like, he will cut you. And he proved it. Like, some people talk about it, Peter be about it. Right? Garden of Gethsemane, everybody with me, you know what I'm talking about? Got the strap out, went to work. Right? No fear. And so, even after he got saved, he was... Still a little rough around the edges. That's why I like him. You know, he's like, God's still working on me. That's my guy. I roll with him. 
God ain't through with me yet. I'm still a little rough around the edges. And he turns to the people. Go read it for yourself. He turns to the people, and, he, and now, now they're celebrating. I want you to put your mind here. They're saying, ooh, ooh, I can't believe it. Praise the Lord. Can't believe God healed them. Oh, man, Mike, that's you? Mike, like, yeah, that's me, bro. Right? You know, like, imagine that moment. And into this jovialness, Peter goes, I don't know why y'all are amazed. It was Jesus Christ and faith in him, the one you killed, that healed him. Now imagine if the sermon started like that today. Today I'm going to preach a gospel from the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you killed. And then he told them how the cow ate the cabbage, as the old folks say. And at that moment, he could have taken credit, but he didn't. He said it was faith through the name. Not me. Not my power, not my ability, not my capacity, not my authority, not my education, not my intellectualism, not my appropriation. It was in the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, that this man was healed. Here's the point. It's right behind me. Faith to be healed healed him. Faith in the name healed him. Faith in the name healed him. Now, if you're here and you're just exploring what it means to follow the way of Jesus, and this is like, whoa, it's a lot. And I get it. I get it. So let me, let me say just a few things to you directly. If you're here and you're not yet to follow the way of Jesus or you're trying to decide. Number one, I can't convince you that this is real. I can't. And that's not my job. My job is to herald, which means to tell you what it is and trust God with the rest. That's all I do. It takes so much pressure off. In fact, for those of you who don't regularly share your faith, here's your free ticket. You don't need to close the deal. Just be like, hey, Jesus loves you. And uh, he died for your sins. All right, then. Thanks for my meal. Right? Just at the counter. Anywhere you are. It's not your job to close the deal. It's your job to tell good news. And so here's my good news for you today. Number one, physical healing is real. I can't convince you of that. I can tell you that I've experienced it. I can tell you it's in the Bible. I can tell you medical professionals who to this day cannot explain how my son doesn't have brain damage after not breathing for almost eight minutes. I can tell you that's true. But here's the second thing I can, I can tell you is that physical healing is not even the primary reason to be in a relationship with Jesus. You see, the true healing that Jesus extends to us is not physical, it's spiritual. It's soul level. It's soul level. Because eventually, this body is going to crash. It already is. Right? I can't deadlift without popping my back out of place. So it's, 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 it's over. It's done. Right? I'm in my Pilates season. This, 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 this is the life for me. I do Pilates and I bench. That's all I do. I stopped working my legs three years ago. I do Pilates and I bench. Because my body is literally falling apart. And yours will one day too. But your soul goes on forever. And in fact, there's a, a writer. His name is Isaiah. He wrote in the Old Testament. He wrote these words in Isaiah 57. He said, by his stripes we are healed. I believe it's Isaiah 57. I got it written down. I can't remember. Look it up. By his stripes we are healed. He wrote that 800 years. Follow me. 
800 years before Jesus was beaten with a cat of nine tails by the Roman government and had his back literally stripped and striped. 800 years. And for what purpose? For what purpose was Jesus beaten and maligned and murdered so that our soul could be healed? And the way that our soul is healed is through relationship with him. So here's what I want to do just for one minute, 30 seconds. I want to extend an opportunity for you to come into relationship with Jesus. Here's what I'm asking. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to move. I'm going to ask you to sit in that seat right now and consider these words to pray. Jesus, I believe you. I believe you are who you say you are. And you did what you said you did. I believe you died for my sin in my place so that I can have soul healing and eternal life. Forgive me for rejecting your love and leading and help me to have faith. Give me faith to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, everything forever is different. Never the same again. Your life has changed. Your life has changed. And the only thing I would ask is you let us know. There's going to be a QR code at the end of this gathering for you to scan that says first-time guest. I know it says first-time guest, so you may not be a first-time guest, but that's a way to let us know. And all you got to do is put in there, in that blank, today I follow Jesus. Now, for all of us, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? If this is true, if what happened with Peter is true, if my story, what do we do with this? Well, I want to tell you what to do with it, and I want to answer two other underlying questions. But before we do that, I want to give us one more opportunity. The Bible says that we overcome by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And today we got a very special testimony, and it is from my mama. So would you all welcome my mother to the stage, please? my mother just to share briefly her story of when the Lord healed her from both brain and breast cancer. And uh, can you share that with us, Mom? Can I, can I walk you around the table here? You dress so nice today. They need to see how you stun. Good morning, everyone. All praise and honor and glory to our God, my God. I just, I just want to explore the possibility of getting you to understand that the definition of faith is that it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence not of things not seen. Faith is more than that. Faith is believing for what you need or what you want, and you have not even seen any evidence of it yet, but you're still believing that it's going to happen. And I've had problems with my knee since 2014. They wanted to do surgery, but I'm not doing any surgery unless I just have, I have to, I stop walking. But God has healed me miraculously more than one time. 
I was, uh, my mother had breast cancer in, in the late 90s, and a few years after she had breast can cancer, a mammogram revealed that I had a large tumor in my breast. And uh, the doctors that I, were I was dealing with, especially at the hospital, because I had it all done at Woman's Hospital in Baton Rouge, and everyone was fr frantic because I refused to let them cut into me or, or do anything because the Lord had told me, and he does talk to you. If you know the song, I, I go to the garden alone, mm -hmm. beautiful song, he does talk to you. But what happens a lot of times is we're not listening. We already formulated in our mind what we want to hear. So basically, we don't hear what he's saying, but he does talk to us. So basically, I decided that I was not going to let them touch me because the Lord said, if they cut you, they're going to find what they're looking for. But if you believe in me, then I'm going to heal you. My family was after me saying how foolish it was. You need to go on and do this and do that. And I still held to the belief that the Lord was going to heal me. And over a period of three or, three or four weeks, my faith did get shaken at times. But I, one day I just said to myself, you know, if a boat is on the water, that's one thing. But if the boat has sunk, and the water's in the boat, and the boat is in the water, that's a whole different story. But that's how you're going to have to get with Christ. You're going to have to just bury yourself in him and believe for that. So uh, later, um, they called me again to do another mammogram to try to convince me that that was a very large, like 50-cent piece-sized tumor. And they were very afraid that it was cancerous and they just wanted to deal with it as quickly as possible. So I finally gave in and went and did the last mammogram. I'd memorized the 91st Psalm by then, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. And um, I did the mammogram and I was doing that, reciting that uh, Psalm over and over. And the tech, or the nurse who was doing the, uh, she did a, ma a mammogram, did, she did an ultrasound because they needed really to convince me. So she runs out the room and tells me to get dressed and says nothing else. So once I'm dressed, she takes me back to the doctor's office, and the doctor has this film up showing, the, you know, different views of the, the uh, tumor that, that was in my breast. And she said, it's gone. <coughs> and I don't want you to think we were just trying to trick you into surgery. I want you to look at this film. That's why I wanted you here. And, and it was. It was a mess about this big. And, you know, she said, it's gone. We don't know what happened. I said, I know what happened. <laughs> God healed me. <laughs> so verily, from that time on, I have resolved to believe God for healing. Now, when I had a, a brain tumor, the Lord told me to have it taken care of. That was some, maybe eight or nine years later, and the Lord told me to have it taken care of. So I saw a doctor in Chattanooga who wanted to do surgery, and he said, well, we'll just pluck your head like a 
cantaloupe, just pluck a piece out of that, like a watermelon or a cantaloupe, and we'll go in and get it. And it may be some swelling. It may be this, that, and the other. So I looked into Emory, and there was a doctor there who was, who was willing to do stereotactic radio surgery. And he said that he did not believe that it could possibly be cancer because it was in the meninges, but he wanted to take care of it anyway. So basically, that is still route I went, and a tumor that was almost six centimeters in the, in the course of three years had gone down to the size of a pea. It's just like a burnt chart stump or something, like you burn wood and you just a chart stump is up there. So uh, basically, I have experienced God's grace many, many, many times. And the thing is, if I can get you to believe that nothing is impossible for him, mm. even today when I'm running uh, short of time and whatnot, I just say, Father, you need to redeem the time. You stopped the sun for Joshua, you know. <laughs> you just give me a little bit more time. And generally he does. But please believe God is everything the Bible says he is and more. And he's going to talk to you. You just have to be willing to listen. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. We rejoice for those moments, and we should rejoice. But the inevitable question that sits beneath the surface, at least in my mind, is what if God doesn't heal? And what about the times that he doesn't heal? Um, I was pondering this during prayer one morning last week, during this season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I was thinking about my little brother who um, I prayed for God to heal every day for an entire year. And God didn't heal him on the side of heaven. And I was confused and I was frustrated and, and there's been a lot of that. And the Lord brought a passage to mind that I want to share with you as we close our time to answer that question. It comes from Isaiah. 57, 1 through 2, and it says, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. The second version of it reads this way, the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamities. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. The Lord brought those verses to mind, and, and I was so struck by them, and I actually shared them with my mother um, on Monday morning, which was my little brother's birthday. And the Lord reminded me that sometimes he doesn't heal because he sees all and knows all. And he's protecting people from an unknown future. And sometimes he doesn't heal, and this is the hardest one. And this was the case with my brother. Sometimes he doesn't heal because, because the person you're praying for is ready to go home and be with Jesus. 
because they are tired of facing this world as it is. And they long, they long for the rest and the peace that only eternity can provide. And so when you wonder how to hold this tension of faith to believe that God heals and the reality that he always does it, then it's this truth that sits in the center from the word of God. And that's what struck me thirdly in that moment is every question I've ever had, the scriptures had an answer for me. Every single one. And so what do we do? What do we do with this? I'm going to tell you, we ask God for more faith to pray for healing, to believe for healing, and to trust him to do whatever he's going to do. That's what we do with this. We pray for greater measures to do greater works. And when it doesn't happen, then we entrust it to God because, because he sees in ways that we can never possibly see. If we become those types of people, I guarantee We will change the world. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus for greater measures of faith for every person in this room to believe that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.